everybody. Welcome back to the Tipsy Ghosts. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hey, guys. Hello. Happy almost Halloween. Happy almost Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> what are you guys doing for Halloween this year? So my kids are wanting to be Mario and Luigi. I love that. And have me and my husband be Bowser and Peach. Classic. That is so cute. Um, so we'll see. I haven't dressed up for Halloween in an embarrassingly <laughs> long time. So we'll go trick-or-treating. Um, TBD on where we're going. Normally we do it with my brother and sister every year, and it's a tradition, but we've been invited to go with um, my kids' baseball team. They're doing a little get-together and trick-or-treating through the neighborhood, so we might do that instead. You have lots of options. I do. Like, literally, this baseball mom was like, hey, come over to our house. We'll do this and this and that. We'll have a chili cook-off, and then we'll go trick-or-treating. And I was like, I... She invited me two months ago. And I was like, I have not even considered Halloween. (laughs) But she goes all out because it's her favorite holiday. So Yeah. Well, I mean, it is also my favorite holiday, but I don't plan that far in advance. (laughs) She told me they had their um, costumes picked out um, as of last December. That's intense, <laughs> isn't that? Um, I think we're just doing the the typical. Actually, you know, my my kids are a little bit older, so I I don't even really go trick or treating with them. Yeah, they just go out into the neighborhood, <laughs> and you just say bye, kids. I'll see ya. <laughs> I like take some pictures, maybe if they'll let me, and then and then I just make sure that those rascal teenagers don't steal all the candy from. Yeah. The, they've done that before, so yeah, I have to sit there. And answer the door. I'll probably watch some scary movies. I like that. I mean, I do that anyways. Yeah. But it's just more fun on Halloween. I'll be going into work after I trick or treat. That's Ugh. okay. How about you? Ooh, ooh, let me guess. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You'll be um, locking the front door and turning out the light. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. be in the basement. And going in the basement. Watching, watching movies. Movie. Well, it's a tradition. So, yes, you're right. <laughs> That's exactly what I did as a child when we didn't celebrate Halloween. Oh, I am your childhood. Except we didn't go to the basement. We didn't have basements. But. You also didn't drink. I'll be drinking. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Didn't drink as a child. I work on Halloween, but I don't work in the evening. So I got a giant bag of the Halloween shapes of Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh, my gosh. Let's I see. love only acceptable Love way <laughs> to so, eat them. Reese's are better in shapes. It is a fact. It's they are. true. It is. So I plan to unwrap a bunch of them and just have them in like a bowl. Yes. Like but eat not them for like other kids popcorn. for you. Yes. Yeah, no, uh-huh. just for me. Popcorn and then some sort of alcohol. Um, now, in, in a different life, in an alternate universe, I would dress up like Olive Garden breadsticks. <laughs> okay, that was my next question. If you were going to dress up, what would it be? There we go. And I said I would be your side of Alfredo. Thank you. You're welcome. But it sounds the, really the salad. It sounds really weird that I dip myself in you. Well, mm. it does sound weird when you put it like that. Skate past that. We we eat Lindsay. <laughs> I mean, we eat all both of us. Of you. We're all eating. <laughs> Wait, the breadsticks eat the salad? What is wrong with you, the Alfredo? They're like chopsticks. <laughs> I'm very confused by this up. metaphor. <laughs> I want to know what alcohol pairs best with Reese's. It's chocolate. That makes me feel like a, a red wine would be appropriate. Ooh, that feels very fancy. Thank you. <laughs> Reese's <laughs> and red wine. I'll keep you updated. Okay. <laughs> the people need to know. They do. 
They also need to know what we're talking about tonight. We are doing a haunted investigation. So remember how we went to the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs? The Crescent Hotel. I remember. It was wonderful. It was beautiful and we Things loved it. It was spooky. Things happened in our room that are unexplainable. Yeah. They did. So we went to Eureka Springs wanting to go to the Crescent, obviously. But there is a second hotel that is haunted in Eureka Springs. It's a sister. It's a sister hotel. It's a sister hotel. One we did not stay the night at, obviously, but we went and did a ghost tour on it Mm -hmm. for about an hour and a half. So we're going to talk about it. Yeah. This is the place when you hear us talking in the Crescent about our our secret location when we leave our our recorders going and go out for a while. Mm -hmm. This is it. Here she is. The surprise. So this episode will be a little different because it's not like we have evidence of this place because we just did the ghost tour, didn't stay overnight. So it's just going to be about the history and what we were told happens at this hotel. So we are going to the 1905 Basin Park Hotel. The BPH. BPH. Also known as benign prosthetic Prosthetic hypertrophy. I knew you guys were going to make that into a medical thing. I thought it was hypertrophy. It's basically an enlarged prostate for anybody that wants to know. Um, But the uh, acronym, the initials are the exact same. (laughs) B-P-H. So that's all I could think about. (laughs) Prostates. So I'm going to call it the B-P-H. The enlarged prostate hotel. (laughs) The enlarged prostate. Come stay with us. Which, speaking of large, it is a very large hotel and it's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That was wonderful. Way to transition. Thank you. (laughs) All right, so the Basin Park Hotel is one of the most well-known landmarks in Eureka Springs, probably next to the Crescent. And it is kind of in the smack dab middle of their main street. It was built in 1905. Get it? Because it's the 1905 Basin Park Hotel. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. It does. It'd be weird (laughs) if they said, like, 1910 Basin Park Hotel. Mm -hmm. 1889. All right. But the history behind it starts before its opening in 1905. So we're going to go back a little bit further and we'll go back to about 1884. Okay. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. This gives me a great idea for whenever we buy our own haunted house. Okay. We should give it a name with a a year that it was not even existent in. Like um, 1776. (laughs) Yes. The 1776. July 4th, 1776. Haunted. <laughs> like, were Kansas and Missouri states then? We're like, listen. It was this place matter. was built and haunted. <laughs> it was built by the Native Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and it just looks very up to date. <laughs> it looks like it was probably built in the 1776. So that's why we named it that. We estimated that. Yeah. They it were was f- built in 1492. <laughs> yeah. We carried it from uh, St. Augustine. <laughs> carried it all the way over. And he went to the middle of Missouri and just said, here you go. Plopped it down and we bought it. Yep. And nobody discovered it for, you know, hundreds of years. It's ours now. (laughs) It sounds plausible. Yeah. So that's a go. Okay. All right. Got it. All right. So 1884, there was a house that was built called the Perry House. And it was built by Captain Joe Perry. Get it? That also makes sense. Mm -hmm. He was from Colorado and he was a hotelier. Ooh. Hotelier. <laughs> Ooh. He's a hotelier. You know, I don't know that that's right. That's just <laughs> We're going to say, say both ways and we'll see. <laughs> I'll be honest. Both ways sound fancy. All right. Thank you. The Perry house is four stories high and it had 100 room for guests to accommodate families. 100 rooms and four stories? Mm-hmm. So it's it wasn't big. a house. It was like a, it was no. a hotel. It was, I mean, it was a hotel. They just called it the Perry house. 
So they would have a walk to the mountainside in the back. So we talked about this a little bit with Eureka Springs. Like it's basically a city that was built into the mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this hotel was one of them. It had two galleries that would run the entire length of the front and two sides of the hotel um, where people could walk or sit and enjoy the pure air and sunshine and nearby the famous Basin Spring. So when we went to this place, and you will see probably like not very far away at all, is where the Basin Spring is. And they have a little memorial kind of to it, and you can see it. So water was supplied from the spring to all guests of the house, and the rates of the hotel were pretty cheap. What we would say today, back then, probably not as much. But it was $3 a day, and you could rent a room for the week from anywhere from $12 to $21 a week. That feels like a good deal. (laughs) Did you do the conversion? I did not. (laughs) Come on. You always yell at me when I don't. I know. Hold, please. Sorry. Let me know when you find it, and then so I want to guess. So $1 in 1884 is worth about $31. Okay. So $90-something dollars? So about $90-something dollars. So about $100. Let's okay. just call it $100 a day. We're looking at like a two-star hotel. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, the Motel Inn? The Motel Inn. Got it. This is taken from an actual article on July 1st, 1905 from Eureka Springs Times Echo. The Eureka Springs Times, not the New York Times. <laughs> Echo. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> You're welcome. So it says, early in the forenoon, manager Brumfield opened the doors to the guests, and with each incoming train, their numbers increased. The first service given in the elegant dining room was the six o'clock dinner, and at one dollar a plate, <laughs> the tables were continuously filled from six till nine. Got that. Yeah, we'll say about $30. I'm not going to do from 1884 to 1905, but we're just going to say. I'll oh, say 35 Okay, 35 So following the dinner, the invited guests were ushered by receiving line at the entrance to the parlors. The splendid elevator and the stairways were taxed to their full capacity to accommodate the people who, in a most genial and orderly manner, crowded by one another to reach the various portions of the building. So basically in 1905, they expanded and they opened it up and that's when it became known as the Basin Park Hotel instead of the Perry House. Okay. At the time, the hotel was ranked among the most modern and largest hotel in the country. It was built at a cost of $150,000 and was supposedly a fireproof structure. Uh Uh-oh. All right, we're going to fast forward a little bit. In 1944, the Basin Park Hotel was acquired by a notable family named Roy Parkhill. And we learned about him a little bit on our tour. So he was an oil man from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and... An oilier. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's perfect. He was basically his, he went away to war for a while and he came back from World War II to a hero's welcome in the city and his uncle invested and bought the hotel for him and said, here's your welcome home gift. You get this hotel. That's quite the gift. That's quite the gift. Is it a blessing or is it a curse? Hmm. That's a lot of work if you weren't really expecting it. We will say that Joe had some ties to the mob and knew Al Capone as well. Oh. So Joe. So Joe is Joey. Joe is Joey. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Joey from Oklahoma. Is that your mob impression? Yes. (laughs) Hey. Hey, it's me, Joey. (laughs) So Joe, he had a big vision for the Basin Park Hotel. He wanted to revamp it. He wanted to transform the whole area into a sort of entertainment hub within the Ozark Mountain region and make this into a gambling, drinking playground for children. No. What? (laughs) Playground for adults. My bad. 
He looked right at me and said, <laughs> playground for children with the drinking and gambling. <laughs> I feel like you were speaking right to me. <laughs> a playground for adults. Okay. Like a Las Vegas kind of place is what he wanted. <laughs> or adults the size of children. <laughs> Such as <Old> myself. <laughs> That's why she was looking at you. Oh, gosh. I'm so tired today. It was meant for you. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. What he would do is he would... He bought a school bus and he would go all the way up to Chicago where the train was and would get people off of the train, soldiers and businessmen, and he would drive them in his little school bus all the way down to Eureka Springs, picking people up along the train stops. So it was like four hours for us, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Four and a half. That's got to be an eight-ish hour bus ride. But he was hitting all the train stops on his way. And just picking people up from the trains. 13-hour bus ride. Yes. And he would bring them to Eureka Springs. So he was doing this. This is post-Norman Baker getting caught. Okay. And so nobody was wanting to come to Crescent Hotel. Crescent, you know, Eureka Springs was on national news because of all of what Norman Baker did. And so he was trying to bring people back to Eureka Springs. And this is how he did it. Okay. And so he was bringing them basically to parties. So Eureka Springs became known as this like hotbed of activity for prostitution and gambling and drinking Mm -hmm. and law enforcement can't touch us, all kinds of things. He thought that if he continued doing this, he would boost revenue and occupancy at the hotel, but also would like increase the prestige of Eureka Springs, which not sure that's the right kind of prestige that you want. Depends on who your demographic is. That's true. And this is post-World War II. So, I mean, people were partying it up. I think he was just like looking for warm bodies to come down and spend some money. Yeah. And let's be real. The economy probably wasn't that great post-World War II. Yeah. One of his lasting legacies is the barefoot ball, which we went to. It was the first room we were in, the barefoot ball. Oh, I didn't realize it wasn't called a ballroom. (laughs) Well, it is a ballroom. (laughs) 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 Never heard you do that before. (laughs) (laughs) So the barefoot ball was held in the grand ballroom where we were. And it was also held on the roof garden. And this was in 1948. And it became a cherished tradition for Eureka Springs. It became known as the barefoot ball because during one of their radio shows that they were having near Eureka Springs, there was a newlywed couple. And they were from California. And they were given a two-week stay at the Basin Park Hotel as their... Yay, you won on the radio. Good job. But the catch was to stay at the hotel for free. They had to remain barefoot the entire time they were in Eureka Springs. That is disgusting. (laughs) I'd do it. Absolutely not. I don't eat with my feet. I don't see why it's a big deal. (laughs) For two weeks. Sure. Like from the time they left California until the time they got back, they had to be barefoot. Like all throughout the city and stuff. Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. just at the hotel. On the train. (laughs) absolutely not i can barely walk in a hotel room barefoot no it's not happening so joe you can do it for both of us (laughs) i only have two feet well i'll ride on your back (laughs) piggyback for two weeks thank you you can carry me in a sling oh like a little kangaroo (laughs) that's adorable you're my joey Oh, Joey. Which Joey Parkhill, he's the one who came up with this idea to get publicity for the hotel because people were like, that's crazy. And you know what? The couple was good sports and they they did it. They were seen walking around barefoot all over the town of Eureka Springs. They were good sports. <laughs> that's Sarah's so gross. <laughs> to celebrate their success, Park Hill 
threw the first barefoot ball on June 26, 1948. <laughs> and the couple was presented with keys to the city for being wow. such a good sport. <laughs> That's all it took, huh? Over 300 guests and townspeople attended the first event, and it has become an annual tradition. All right, so from 1944 to 1954, so over the next 10 years, there was a lot of work that was done to the Basin Park Hotel. They updated some floors and some rooms. They put a doctor's office into the hotel as well. <laughs> they added 100 guest rooms, and they built a coffee house on the street level. Okay. So eventually the Park Hill family um, sold the place, and a new era was ush ushered in when John Cross bought the place. So this is about 1959. So John Cross, he was a pretty young guy. He was in his mid-20s, and he was telling his grandfather, hey, we should uh, buy this restaurant that was near the Basin Park Hotel. And his father gave him, or grandfather, sorry, gave him the money for this. And on February 17th of 1960, he took over the operation of the Basin Park Hotel Coffee House. And he ran the hotel's restaurants, the retail shops, and the coffee house until eventually he was running the hotel itself for about 15 years. He ran all of these things. The hotel was struggling a little bit during this time, but revenues from the restaurant kept the building alive. And in May of 1975, Cross sold the entire Basin Park Hotel property, the restaurant, and the retail stores to Reverend Gerald Hansen for $100,000. So if you remember, it cost back in, you know, the 1905, $150,000 to build, and he sold it in 1975 for $100,000. I feel like that was a lot less money. Hmm. He did also include the restaurant and the equipment in the restaurant for an additional $10,000, but still. The Reverend Hansen reopened the Basin Park Hotel as a museum, drawing attention to the hotel by listing it in Ripley's Believe It or Not. And he also purchased one of Elvis's car, the Elvis. Hmm. I saw an AI generation of what Elvis would look like today. And? It was terrifying. <laughs> How old would he be today? I don't know. He literally was in his 80s. <laughs> In this image, he had way too many teeth. You know how AI messes up sometimes. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he looked like he dentures. had. No, he looked like he had seventy-five teeth, and they're all like little tiny chiclet things. Ew. <laughs> Anyways, so he had he... one of his cars, and he um, put it in the roof garden and used a crane to put the car in to get people to come see. Ooh. All right. So Stan Wisdom, he's a lawyer from Wichita, Kansas. And he purchased the property from Reverend Hansen for four hundred thousand dollars in nineteen eighty. And then he sold it to four Wichita investors for double the price of eight hundred thousand dollars. He made quite the profit there. Nice. So with the I guess there's five hotels in Eureka Springs. So all five of the historic hotels were under the same management, development, and sales groups, but they were all operated by a general manager for the group. Their restaurant at the time, the Coach and Four, was very successful, and it lured motor coaches in droves, it says, to Eureka Springs. Can you imagine that tiny road? Oh, my gosh. Yes. With droves of motor coaches. <laughs> Apparently, it was an ideal location for the motor coach market. <laughs> Remember that tiny little roadway we went back on and had to we go down like that We're giant going down hill? like a roller coaster. Yeah. No, it was very scary. It's not a problem for motor coach, though. No, motor coach got this. Yeah. 
Um, the hotel continued to have some maintenance issues. You know, she's getting old. So they ordered for the hotels to be auctioned off and wanted to split ownership of all of the properties. In 1992, Troy Parnell, he was a developer and he was also a part hotelier. of the franchise of best Western motels. Oh, oh. <laughs> not what I was going to say. Not motel. A motelier. Hey. <laughs> yes, best Western motelier. <laughs> <laughs> so he saved the Basin Park Hotel from foreclosure because that's where it was heading. He saw the hotel and its potential and thought that it could be a romantic getaway for couples. So he oversaw a renovation that included adding Whirlpool suites to the rooms oh. <laughs> <laughs> and establishing the balcony restaurant and bar, which is still there to this day. And it's pretty cool. It's like up on the balcony and you can oversee all of the town. In 1995, the general manager, Jack Moyer, was hired as the new general manager to lead the hotel towards more sustainability. So revenue continued to grow, um, but expenses were also increasing, leaving the hotel with very little profit profitability. So, you know, Mr. What did I say his first name was? Mr. Troy. Okay. Troy Barnell. <laughs> Troy. Uh, Troy was the best Western motel, so he owns it. So he decided to place the hotel on the market for sale. Once again, because they weren't making enough profit. Not enough couples using the whirlpools. Not enough. So in November. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Do you think they made jungle juice in the whirlpools? That's why you don't walk barefoot in hotels. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not absorbing anything through my feet in a hotel. You don't know that. Has it ever been studied? I wonder. I'm sure. Can you absorb disgustingness? Do you think hotel carpet? So that couple showered over those two weeks. It's not like they couldn't shower and wash their feet. I have problems <laughs> and I know it. <laughs> it's okay. All right. So November of 1996 is where we're going next. Marty and Elise Ronick um, were looking for a retirement destination and decided to visit the Basin Park Hotel. And they fell in love with the place. Um, so on February 28th, 1997, they bought the Basin Park Hotel. What else are you going to do in your retirement but buy a big, massive hotel? Yeah. And they kept on all the employees and management. Then they bought the Crescent Hotel. Oh, my God. <laughs> on May 5th of 1997. So, like, three months later. They've got some retirement money. I guess so. They do. Um, and they still own both of the hotels. Wow. And are keeping up with both of them. So, we went on a, we went on a tour. little tour. It and was there, a public tour. It was. Um, and it was an hour and a half long tour. And first, we started off in the ballroom mm -hmm. where the, the barefoot ball was held. So then we went up to the roof, which is like the little patio thing that they have. It was a very narrow place. Uh, then we came down to the whiskey bar area, then the kitchen, and there was a hallway area. And after that, we went to an atrium and then down to the caves mm -hmm. is where we ended. So that's just a little, we weren't going in rooms. No. We weren't even really going like in the hotel where you could see rooms, I feel like. No. We were in the public places. Or maybe it's because it was a late night tour. It started at 1030. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You can't be, you know, standing outside people's hotel rooms at midnight. Why? <laughs> They're sleeping and doing romantic things in the whirlpool. Ew. <laughs> Gross. On the carpet. With their dirty feet. <laughs> their bare feet. <laughs> that nobody puts to their mouth. <laughs> you don't know what they're into. 
gross. I don't personally do that. So <laughs> thank you for the information. That's why I feel comfortable walking on weird places. It's not you even pick, weird. It's carpet. You put your feet into the bed like that. I would I would shower if I was walking around barefoot. Before but then before you'd have bed. to walk barefoot back to the bed. Yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> do you I, not walk barefoot around no. your house? At my house, yeah. Okay. At hotels, absolutely not. I walk oh, I in shoes everywhere. No, I, I'm barefoot all the time. <laughs> I'd prefer to be barefoot all the time, actually. I can't help the way that I am. I get grossed out so easy. If you were given the opportunity to have jungle juice <laughs> or to walk barefoot in a hotel room. Like just from the bed to the bathroom? No, just you're staying there. Just take your shoes off and get comfortable. <laughs> like around the whole room. If I had to pick between the two, I'd walk barefoot. Okay. okay. That's a good, solid choice. Thank but you. I would hate it. <laughs> All right, so I'm also going to put in some notable quotes from us. Oh, they're quotables. quotables. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. The very first one is from Boydston. Ooh, oh. a classic, I'm sure. I'm not here to talk to anybody. Well, that sounds right. That <laughs> checks I, out. I stand behind everything. <laughs> yes. Um, I'd say it now. Somebody. I don't know why I needed to say that, but. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, let's see if you guys can guess who, had the meat thermometer. Oh, well, it wasn't Lindsay or I. It was me. And we were going up the stairs to the roof. Oh, yes. And Sarah said, Lindsay, your butt's reading red. And I said, stop skating my butt. And Sarah said, never. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I still stand by that, too. This is in public, people. <laughs> um, I asked you guys repeatedly, how are the vibes? Yeah, you did. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I don't mean like, how are we feeling? I mean like, are you picking up on ghost vibes? No, we know. I know what you mean. It's just <laughs> really hard like to <laughs> How are the vibes? Are the vibes good? Are the vibes bad? <laughs> By the way that I am. Okay, so the first spirits we hear about are down by the whiskey bar. And people report smelling whiskey breath when well, they're near the room. That makes sense. Gross. Um, people report seeing a girl in a yellow dress. Doing cartwheels on the bar and running around. <laughs> I love that for her. Oh, she's just having a great time. There's a little girl in a bar. Yeah. Um, people catch a lot of orbs around this area as well. In the bar area, so we went into the bar. People, and by people, I mean mediums, have picked up on residual energy and shadow people that just like to sit at the tables and have a drink. This is where our tour guide shows us a picture of a guy in the bar area. Yes. Shall we talk about the picture? From what I remember, mm-hmm. it was a very clear image of a person. Of a man. It To me, I know this sounds mean, but it didn't look real to me. It looked very photoshopped yeah. in a way that it was not like a, like you couldn't see through it. Correct. It looked like a man just it, standing there. It looked like, like if there was a normal person standing there and they just like lightened him in like gray tone and he was like a few times looking directly at the camera (laughs) it was it was too perfect Mm -hmm. i called bs on it instantly but i respectfully did not say anything to either of you until one of you said something to me and i was like okay it's not just me that says this is too too good of a picture you were sitting next to me so it was me yes it was you well (laughs) then i went over to boydston with my recorder (laughs) i said did you see the picture and you go "Mm, yeah it's too perfect oh it really was yes also in this area, a Civil War soldier has been photographed. Okay, so we go into the kitchen. 
And which then we was get weird. kicked out of the kitchen. Okay. That was a little weird. They were like still in there cleaning up. Remember? Yes. <laughs> we're like, hello. Hello. Goodbye. Sneak past here, past your refrigerator. Yes. Can you imagine somebody working in the in the kitchen, just trying to shut things down, and an entire group of random people come in <laughs> to they look at you? They were very pleasant, but I just that would annoy the crap out of me if yes. I was working. But they did say that people, like kitchen staff, do not feel comfortable working there late at night because they hear things and they get a weird vibe. Yeah. We went to the atrium, which it's kind of just like a hangout place. It's got some couches and a TV. And a shuffleboard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we go down to the cave and literally like you go down this ladder. Like I get to go first. A wooden ladder. A wooden ladder. And it is, I mean, it's a cave essentially with some tables and chairs set up because yeah. they do wine tastings down there. I remember being very warm down there. It's very humid. Yeah. And very humid. Um, in the cave, I said, let the record show when we first got down here, I looked for bats for Sarah. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I didn't even think about it. So this cave, um, we call it a cave, but it used to be a livery stable with hay for the horses. Oh, a livery? Livery. What does that mean? I don't know, but that's what she called it, a livery stable. Oh, okay, okay. okay. I think that's where you keep livestock. Okay. Is it livery? <laughs> I have no idea. I think it's livery. Yeah. Um, during this time, people had their spirit boxes, of, like apps on their phones that were going off and saying things, spouting out random things. And a girl who was kind of sitting near to us, do you remember this? She got up and said that she was really freaked out by something and walked away. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I couldn't hear in the recording why she was freaked out and she didn't really say too much. So something must have happened or something came across on her spirit box she didn't like. Okay. Um, she talked something about a guy getting lost in a cave with his fiddle drinking yeah. on moonshine. There was a story of a young boy, like in love mm-hmm. teenager. Yes. That um had was heartbroken or something and went to a cave and then he got lost mm-hmm. back there and died basically. And people can still hear his fiddle. Mm-hmm. She also talked about shapeshifters and a woman who turned into a cougar at night. And I said, yeah, mm-hmm. she did. <laughs> I mean, she was just asking for that one. <laughs> she was. <laughs> she walked right into it. She would hide in the closets, and then she would turn into a cougar at night and come out at night. Um, and then she talked about a serial killer, which I didn't even write down this story, because I remember you asking at the very end, what was the name of the serial killer? And you were she, like, I don't know. She didn't know. Yeah. So I didn't even write me. it down, because I was like, look, if I can't look it up, I'm not going to talk about it. I wanted to know who it was, but it was just a serial killer. A serial killer. We'll never know. That came through the Basin Park Hotel, but we don't know who it is. Yeah which I would have liked to research that, but I couldn't find anything. That cave was kind of cool because um, the way you get out of it, you, you walk back a little further and take a little turn through a, a room with a big safe in it. But before that turn, I don't know if you guys saw, there's like a, a gate. Mm-hmm. And if you looked through it, it went way far back there. So I wonder what was under there. Yeah, it was a the locked cave. gate. We the rest of in. the cave. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It was a very cool little cave. It was just very humid. Oh, yeah. But that was our experience at the Basin Park Hotel. Like I said, we don't have evidence because we didn't stay there. It's impossible to catch any EVP on the recording because there's so many people and moving around. I would have liked to hear about, like, ghosts that haunt the rooms that are there. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Yeah. So we can't give this place a rating because we didn't investigate it. We just took a walk. Yeah. But we were like, listen, we're in... We're in this town. There's two haunted hotels. Let's hit them both up. Yep. I'm glad we did. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in this week to our haunted 
kind of investigation of the <laughs> Basin Park Hotel in Eureka Springs, you can always find us at thetipsyghost.com with our socials linked from there or send us an email at thetipsyghost at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it and it really does help. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.